Good morning. How's everybody? Good. I'm Taylor. Hello to everybody at home. And sorry, people behind the camera. <laughs> I thought I was waving. Um, usually I start off with a bit of a joke, but um, I don't know if you remember Matt. He did like 20. And so he used all of, the, all of the biblical jokes in the Jesus joke book. And so I don't really have anything. So I just thought I might just start off with a prayer, if that's all right. Um, dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. Would you send your spirit now? Would you come? Would you rest on us? Would you open our hearts, God? Would you make us soft to receive your word? In Jesus' name. Mm. Amen. Romans 8, we've been covering. Um, so just to give a bit of a, a, an overall sort of view of what Romans 8 is about, um, in case you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, Romans 8 begins and ends with declarations of the Christian's absolute security uh, before God. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, and there's nothing that will ever be able to separate us from the love of God. Um, And having believed the gospel, we now live in the spirit of God, and we are called, uh, we can call Christ brother, and we uh, are called sons and daughters by God. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, And now we've gotten to the end of Romans 8, which I'm going to be covering. Um, James has given me uh, chapters, uh, chapter, uh, verses, Romans 8, verses 28 to 39, um, which cover off suffering, predestination, and intercession, uh, all uncontroversial topics. So thank you very much, James. Uh, but overall, this, the, the, these verses are a continuation of this theme of, of security in God. Uh, I learned so much while putting this talk together. Um, you, you learn way more when you're, <laughs> when you're trying to write a sermon than you do when you're just reading scripture and you realize <laughs> how much you uh, don't do. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm in this as well, very invested in this um, as, as I'm speaking um, so hopefully by the end of this, uh, we'll, we'll have a deep understanding of what security in Christ actually looks like, uh, why it's important, and also what's, that, what's the practical implication of, of having that security in Christ for our lives. Uh, so I just want to start off by reading um, verses 28 and 29. If you've got your, got your Bibles, follow along. So Romans 8, 29 to 28. 28 to 29. not going to read it backwards. I could keep you all on your toes, but I'm not going to. Um, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So here Paul starts off by trying to quash any insecurities that we we may have about God's love for us. He starts off by saying, first and foremost, above all things, We know that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Paul means to comfort comfort us in our waiting and our suffering um, as we long to be with God and glorified by him. And it's in that waiting and that suffering that we as humans tend to question the love that God has for us. And Paul talks about that a little bit later on, um, so I'll I'll sort of expand on that a bit more um, as we go on. Paul then talks about our individual places in in the story of salvation. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among brothers. Paul begins by saying um, that our our calling to be God's children uh, started way back, way back before. He writes that God foreknew those who were going to be brothers and sisters to Jesus and those who were going to be sons and daughters of God. 
the word for new. Uh, it's kind of like you're going you're to get a lot of parenting analogies today, just because that's my world at the moment. Um, but when I think about that, that for new, um, Yanka is, we, we announced a couple of weeks ago that Yanka's pregnant, and um, we're having a little boy. Very exciting, we just found out. Um, and so when I think about my son, I already know his place in our family. I already love him so much. Um, and I know that he's got two excited little daughters, uh, little sisters, my daughters. Um, very excited to, to meet him. Uh, he doesn't know any of that, you know? He doesn't know that I'm his dad. Um, he doesn't know how loved he's going to be. Um, uh, he doesn't know about our family. And, and I kind of see that in, in the same sense with, with God. But before the foundations of the earth, he knew us, you know? He knew us as his children. He knew uh, our brothers and sisters, who they were going to be. Um, and and that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Um, and in the same sense, um, it's pretty cool to know that he foreknew us, he knows us, and he will always know us. So we're sort of in this continuation of time. Uh, he's outside of that, and, and he, he knows us throughout it all. Uh, and then it sort of goes on. God predestined, he appointed, he ordained in advance those who are to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Paul says it even more plainly in Ephesians. He chose us in him, in Christ, uh, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. There's a bit of controversy in this passage um, as it deals with uh, whether, whether or not God allows free free will, our human choice, um, or whether his decisions as to who uh, will be saved and who won't is uh, totally unilateral, um, his decision alone. Uh, and people have different views on this. Uh, my, my view, especially in the context of this chapter where it's talking about security in Christ and it's talking about suffering, um, is that knowing that my heavenly father loves me, has loved me, and will continue to love me regardless of what I do, there's nothing I can do more, there's nothing I can do less, gives me a lot of peace and gives me a lot of security um, as, as his son, um, that from the beginning of time, he knew that I would be with him in glory. Um, and, then, and then furthermore, on, on the topic of suffering, uh, there's a bit of struggle around that as well because uh, the idea that God knows that we're going to suffer can sometimes be a difficult pill to swallow, I guess. Um, but God never said that we wouldn't suffer. Uh, in fact, it says in First Peter uh, 4, 12 to 13, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And then in Romans 8.18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. So what does this glory look like? Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death, no more mourning, or crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. So we may see the suffering, but God sees the whole picture. Um, he sees the eternal picture. Um, when I was, well, there's, there's lots of different types of suffering. Um, there's the persecution uh, for, being, for being a Christian. Um, there's emotional suffering, financial suffering, um, uh, mental, mental suffering, uh, physical suffering. The physical suffering is probably something I'm, I'm more familiar with in my life um, than the others. When I was uh, 12, 
my family and I were on a skiing trip in Canada. Pretty cool. It's pretty awesome. Um, and uh, I had an accident while we were skiing. There was a whiteout, and I skied off a off a ledge thing. Um, and I broke my femur, and um, the blood supply to my um, my the, the head of the femur got cut off when that happened. And so from the ages of about twelve through to about 14 I was in a wheelchair um, because the bone dissolved away at the top of my at the top of, top of my head uh, the head of the femur and um, so they're trying to figure out what to do because I was too young to get a hip replacement um, and so uh, it was a lot quite quite painful I was on you know lots of sort of drugs as a young child trying to manage the pain and that kind of thing um, it wasn't just the physical suffering it was also hard um, seeing my you know as a parent now I can see how hard it was for my parents during that time as well. You want the best for your kids. Um, so that's quite, that's quite difficult. Um, and uh, then eventually they, they made the decision to fuse my hip. So I've just got one big, one big bone, my pelvis and my femur is one big bone. You can call it a pima or a pelvis. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then following that, about six months later, um, I started to get really bad stomach pain. And um, I sort of just started walking again and uh, it, was re- it got really, really bad. And um, then uh, I had my uh, appendix taken out, and then they discovered that I've got Crohn's disease. And so I then went through this journey of, over the next, well, till now, um, of, of trying to manage um, this, this illness, uh, which causes a lot, of, a lot of pain and discomfort and um, arthritis and all this stuff. Um, and I long for God's kingdom to come now. Like, I really do. Um, and I think we should fervently ask for that, right? Like my daughters do when we're going on a four-hour road trip. They ask every 15 minutes if we're there yet. You know, I think we should, we should be doing that too, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, because, because, you know, we, we want to be in glory and we want to see God's sort of plan and his purpose fulfilled. Um, we want to see the new, new heaven and the new earth. Um, and I pray often for healing. And I've had countless people pray for healing of phys- to, to an end of physical suffering. Um, but I'm still in it, and my suffering has nothing to do with God's love for me. I'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed, uh, as it says in Peter, and, and, uh, you know, tr- but truly uh, now, you know, having sort of a, an eternal perspective, and I don't fully have it, only God does, but how minuscule are these sufferings in comparison to the glory of God um, and, and what will be revealed at, uh, sort of in the end times, you know? How, how amazing. Um, I can't wait for the day when he wipes every tear from our eyes. Uh, when there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. Um, but how cool, you know, from the beginning of eternity, he foreknew us. Uh, he has known us. He has loved us. He has been with us. Uh, we're part of his family. We always will be, regardless of our suffering. Uh, and we are secure. We're secure in him. We can see that's this, this story uh, in, the next, in the next verse. It says, those he predestined, you and me, uh, he called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he glorified. Foreknew, he knew us before the world was made. Predestined, he assigned us as sons and daughters of the Most High. Right from the beginning, he assigned us those roles. Called, he called us when we were born. He called us into a relationship with him. Justified. Christ died for us so that we may be clean and justified before the King of Kings so that this relationship can be fulfilled and glorified. The end of the story or the beginning of eternity made whole. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll be part of that. What I love about this verse is the tense in which Paul speaks it. 
you know? Foreknew, predestined, called, justified, glorified, because it's already done, you know? God is outside of time. It's already happened. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God or from our, our place in his family. Uh, we are secure in Christ. Do you believe it? Well, great. If you don't, then Paul spends the rest of the chapter trying to convince us that it's true. <laughs> um, verse 31 gives us his, his first argument as to why this is the case, why we are secure in Christ. And that is that God is for us. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's pretty cool, eh? If God, the creator of the universe, is for us, even in our trials and our suffering, then who could bring any condemnation against us? Uh, I like to think of, of this as being in a, in a courtroom. You know, if you see yourself as the defendant, you see yourself, uh, you see God as the judge, and you see Jesus as the lawyer, um, uh, uh, and Jesus, he gives you uh, the perfect defense, the perfect defense for your sins, and the judge, the almighty judge, he accepts that defense, Uh, and it's the only defense that he could accept, and he accepts us, he accepts it. Now, no one can bring any condemnation against you in this courtroom. You're no longer guilty. He's already made the verdict. Anyone can come and they can, they can condemn you and the judge would say, I'm sorry, but he's, he's not guilty. The defense has already been given. Ephesians 1.7 says, In him we have redemp- redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Verse 32 gives us the second argument. Christ died for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? When we were sinners, uh, before we knew God, he gave us his best. He gave us his absolute best, his son, uh, and he sacrificed his son for us. How much more will he give us, now being his children? Um, Jesus uses the same sort of argument in, um, in, in Matthew. We try to convince people that it's foolish to worry and fear. If God cares about the lilies and the birds, uh, how much more would he care for us as children? Uh, we seem to become quite, uh, I guess, occupied by the lesser. Every, every year we try to do, well, Yanka does a budget. Um, she's very realistic, and I'm more um, optimistic, I guess. Um, and uh, <laughs> this is probably the better way of doing things. Um, but we always come up short. Like when we start our budget at the beginning of the year, we're like, we're not going to be able to end this year without being in a massive deficit. Yet every year, we seem to be fine. You know, we make it. And, um, and it's just amazing, eh? Like I, when, you, when you look back, you're just like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. You know, I don't, I don't know how it, all, how it all came together. But um, God's the provider, you know? He's good. And in the scheme of things, that's tiny. What, providing for us? Like giving us what we need? He gave us a son who died for us, for our sins, so that we can live eternally. And yet we get occupied by these tiny little things. You know, God's economy is so different to ours. Um, but it's hard, to, it's hard to sort of shake that off, I guess. Verse 33 gives us that, that third argument for being secure in Christ. God has justified us. It says, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. 
I like the way that it's put in Romans uh, 5, 9. Since we've been justified by his blood, how much more will will we be saved from God's wrath through him? Christ justifies us. Like in that court example that I gave before, Christ's defense was perfect, spotless. And God's accepted that defense. We're innocent and we're blameless uh, in his sight. Satan may accuse us. People may accuse us. We may accuse ourselves. um, But we're eternally justified by Christ's sacrifice. And understanding the meaning of justification and accepting that we, uh, we have had the perfect defense given for us gives us a real peace, knowing that despite anything, we're secure in Christ. We secure our, our salvation uh, and our eternal life with Christ and in his family is, is secure and it can't change. Accepting this justification is the hard part, right? Uh, because we've often done something wrong and in our minds, we can't even imagine a legitimate excuse. We can't even imagine a legitimate justification for our actions. Uh, when I was when I was a kid, over uh, I was I was hanging out at a friend's house, and the neighbours uh, across the road were having this big party, and uh, we were just sort of sitting on a. We were probably about eight or nine. We were sitting on on the fence, and there was this tree with these berries, and we were just kind of throwing them, throwing them, <laughs> throwing them over uh, to the to the people who were having this this loud party. We weren't even thinking about it. We were just doing it. Um, and uh, then all of a sudden, uh, I think we must have hit someone. <laughs> and uh, the music stopped, and someone was like, Oi! And someone came out of the gate, and we quickly got down off the fence and ran inside, and we went into his bedroom, and we heard like a knock on the door, and we were like, oh, no. <laughs> and uh, they went and talked to his mum, and the mum came upstairs, and she was like, why were you doing that? And we were just like, don't know. I, I just did. We just did it. I don't. I don't know. Didn't have any justification for it. There was no reason. There was no rationale. Um, you know. And and I kind of. That's a very silly example. But you know, in our lives, when we sin, you know, it's it's often the same. I don't know. I don't know why I do the things that I do. Um, I don't have any excuse. I don't have any justification for it. Um, well, we don't need to, because Christ died for our sins, and Christ just justifies us before God. We just need to accept uh, what He did for us on the cross. And accept his forgiveness. Verse 34. I'm glad to get that off my chest. haven't told anybody about that. Um, Verse 34 gives us the, the fourth argument. Christ intercedes for us. It says, where is it? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Christ our advocate, right? Christ can forgive our sins and restore our relationship with God. Intercede means that Jesus represents us. He's sitting before the throne of God and, and he's, he's talking to, to God about us. He's, he's praying for us, right? Um, and that's, that's pretty cool. We don't have to represent ourselves because I know that if I did, I would be fumbling all over the place. Oh, don't, don't, don't know why I threw the seeds. Don't know. Um, Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of, God's, of, of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the, majest, uh, of the majesty on high. So he died for our sins, rose again, ascended to heaven, sat at the right hand of God, and that wasn't the end. He then now intercedes for us as well. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. It's, pretty, it's a pretty beautiful story. 
Verse 35 to 39 gives us the last argument for our security in Christ. Christ loves us. In the last four arguments, Paul has proven that God cannot fail us. He is for us. Christ died for us. God has justified us, justified us, and Christ intercedes for us, intercedes for us. But what about us? God can't fail us, but can we fail God? Well, Paul deals with that next. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, give me the tingles. It's good. Uh, God's love is not like a promise with conditions attached to it. Security in Christ is an established fact. God's love is bigger than any failure we can, uh, we can, we can do. For me, um, one of the things I struggle with is anxiety. Uh, and feeling one of the, one of the issues, <laughs> it's a roundabout thing where I feel like I'm failing because I'm anxious because scripture says we should not be anxious. <laughs> and then I get anxious about being anxious because, and, um, and it's so silly. It's so silly. Um, but it doesn't matter where I am mentally or emotionally uh, because God's love never change, changes. It's not based on how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking. Um, it's not based on what I do or how I fail or how much I read my Bible or how much I pray. Um, it just never changes. It's stagnant. It is ultimate. It is huge. Um, do any of you guys know a band called Ascend to Hill? It's, a, it's an old band. They, they broke up about maybe like 10 years ago. Um, but I, I, I still listen to their music. And they've got this one song called uh, You Have My Heart. And the lyrics speak quite beautifully, I think, to um, this love that we cannot be separated from. It says, where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run from your presence, God? You'd search for me. If I climbed the heavens... You're there. If I made my bed in depths, you'd plunge for me. You'd find me there just to have my heart. There's not a place on earth discovered that you wouldn't go for me. You'd search for me. There isn't a height that I has ever seen that you wouldn't climb for me. You'd find me there just to have my heart. Man. Um, so we've, we've covered off now um, the scripture in, in which Paul has proven, I believe, um, our security in Christ. Our Father has known us since the foundation of the earth. Trials, temptations, and suffering will come our way, but the glory of God is, is so much greater, so much greater. We can be secure in Christ because he is for us, and Christ dies, died for us. God justifies us, Christ intercedes for us, and even when we fail, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. What we haven't covered off is why the security is important. I'm going to be using another parenting analogy, so brace yourselves. Um, has anyone heard about secure attachment theory? Maybe, yeah, a couple of people. Um, so for those, for those of you who haven't, um, 
Secure attachment theory relates to how a parent connects with their infant. Uh, and I've read, read about it in a couple of different parenting books, um, but I pulled this, this definition of secure attachment um, theory from Google. Uh, secure attachment, a secure attachment bond stems from the wordless emotional exchange that draws the two of you together, ensuring that your infant feels safe and calm enough to experience optimal development of the nervous system. Secure attachment provides your baby with the best foundation for life, an eagerness to learn, a healthy self-awareness, trust, and consideration for others. Our God is our Father, and we're his children. And I believe that God wants us to have a secure attachment or relationship with him too. So I've rewritten this definition of secure attachment to relate to our relationship with our Father, our Heavenly Father. A secure attachment bond stems from the wordless emotional exchange that draws you and your Heavenly Father together, ensuring that you feel safe at peace enough to experience life in its fullness. Secure attachment provides you with the best foundation for life, an eagerness to learn about God, a healthy self-awareness of who you are in Christ, trust, and a love for others. So this, this secure attachment that we've been talking about that Paul has proven we can have if we simply accept it um, and acknowledge it sets us up for life. Like it's the foundation of, of who we are and who we can be in Christ. And from the same website, I pulled this description of why it's so important. When babies develop a secure attachment bond, they're better able to develop fulfilling, intimate relationships, maintain emotional balance, feel confident about themselves, enjoy being with others, rebound from disappointment and loss, and share their feelings and seek support. I've also reworded this description of why secure attachment is important uh, to relate to our relationship with God. When we develop an understanding of how, we, how secure we are in God, we are better able to develop fulfilling intimate relationships, be free from fear and anxiety, feel confident and good about ourselves as sons and daughters of God, enjoy spending time with God and our community, rebound from disappointment and loss and find joy in our suffering. Share our hearts and seek God always. Okay, so we've covered predestination, intercession and suffering in Taylor's 101 class on uh, spiritual attachment theory. <laughs> so now I'm going to try and land this plane. Um, I believe uh, for myself, and, and you might relate with this also, uh, that our ability to experience life free from fear and anxiety, uh, to live it to the fullest, uh, to have a deep hope for the glory of God, which uh, is to come, uh, is clouded by our inability to fully accept um, the security that we have in God. Um, that there's truly nothing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. Paul's spoken the truth uh, about this through the scripture uh, and the importance of this in our lives practically through looking at this parent-child relationship. So I just want to I just want to spend a moment, maybe five minutes, maybe less, um, and just ask the Holy Spirit to just come um, as we we're praying before the service. There was this picture of um, kind of like this, just this mist just resting, resting on us, and I just want to, um, I just want to pray and just allow time for the spirit to come and work in our hearts um, um, and then at the end I'll, I'll finish and I'll pray and if you just feel God stirring up, something up in you um, 
uh, Marty and I are going to be up front. We just want to we just want to pray with you. And uh, yeah, how how cool would it be to just have that that revelation and 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 that that full understanding in our hearts of how secure we are in Christ. So um, I'm just gonna just gonna wait wait a few moments for for, for that. Spirit, would you come? Would you come and rest on us, God? Work in our hearts now, I pray, Jesus.